I think anybody can sing those alleluias. What a great and wonderful joy that we see in our sermon text that Jesus appeared alive and not just as a phantom or a spirit, but he appeared alive in the flesh, which of course becomes for us the promise that we too are going to rise one day in the flesh. This, we, these words of our text, especially we want to focus upon for our devotion today, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's start with that statement you probably have heard, first things first. What is it that creates saving faith that Jesus is speaking about here where we see these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What creates faith? Well, we know as good students of God's word that the Holy Spirit is the one that creates faith. Faith comes by hearing, the scriptures say, and hearing by the word of God. We know that the Holy Spirit helps us to hear or teaches us to hear by the fact that uh, the, well, these words of Jesus, these things were, of John's gospel, these things were written that you may believe. They were actually written and inspired now by the Holy Spirit so that we might believe. But what is it that the Word of God is saying to us that actually creates this faith within us? Yeah, let me speculate for a second about what others might say or believe about what creates faith. I was reading in the Zionsville Current what they consider to be the so-called success of what makes churches grow. There was a study done by the Center for Congregations of 4,500 congregations in Indiana. They never asked us, but I guess there must be 4,501 congregations. But they said, what supposedly are the signs that make churches grow? And of course, they came up with these. Number one, community outreach and more satellite locations. Number two, vibrant music. I guess that means probably not something in German. Vibrant music and sermons that um, make people think. And thirdly, they said, a visible community presence in caring shows that we serve the community. Now, from other websites, I found the so-called other things that make churches grow. Number one was a sense of community where there is warmth and acceptance and welcome and friendship and family. Number two, that people are looking for a place where they can give a good moral education to their children. Number three, they want a church where there is a deepened relationship with Jesus. And number four, they want a place where they can serve, engage in service to others. And number five, which is always my favorite, 
They want an emotional experience. That sense of awe with cheers and inspiration and surprise and laughter and the feeling of being a part of a movement. You will notice that there's a big difference between the question, what makes a church grow, and what creates faith? So let's ask ourselves if any of these statements seem to ring true to you. Doing community outreach creates faith. Hearing vibrant music creates faith. Caring for others creates faith. Feeling a warm sense of community creates faith. Having a deepened relationship with Jesus creates faith. Feeling awe, shedding tears, laughing, experiencing a dynamic communal energy creates faith. Are any of those true? Not according to the Scriptures. Let's back up for a moment, though, and let's recognize that many of these things are things that get people's attention, and they are oftentimes things that legitimately are part of a, the life of a faithful congregation. There are such things as what we might describe as the fruits of faith, things that we do that flow as expressions of the love that God has given to us that we turn on others to do. To use an analogy, we want to see apples on apple trees and peaches on peach trees and pecans on pecan trees. But what we are after is to know what it takes to create the life of the tree. If the tree is not a living tree, then all the apples and all the peaches and all the pecans are fake. Yeah, if they are not done out of faith in Christ, then they are not really good fruits. So we must go back and ask the first question as the first thing's first question. What is it that creates faith? If we can know what it is that creates faith, then we will know what it is that must be the very first thing in our life, the very center, the very core of our life, both individually and as a church, as a congregation. Here in our text, Jesus tells us exactly what it is that creates faith. And he does it almost in one single word. Peace be with you. Yeah, in those words, peace, he is signaling that the so-called war between heaven and earth was over. In our catechism, we say, what does that resurrection mean? It means that God the Father has accepted Christ's sacrifice for the reconciliation of the world. In other words, the world entered into hostility and in the fall into sin, and because of Christ's vicarious suffering and death on the cross where he died for the sins of all humanity that God has now put aside this curse and this animosity and he invites us to do the same. Peace. That's what that word means. But it also means that Jesus who came back from the dead is indeed the very Son of God and what he has won for us now 
also means that we as believers in him are going to rise to everlasting life. What could be greater? What is it that faith grabs onto? It grabs onto that everything has been done for us by Christ. The war is over. Sin and death and hell has been conquered. And God has pardoned us and put aside all his anger. Hard to imagine, isn't it, that now Christ comes and he does one thing more. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Yeah, that faith that we have is created when our sins are pardoned and forgiven. Not feeling congregational warmth, not tapping into a group's energy, not even drinking Starbucks coffee. No, when I take that pile of my crummy, stupid, filthy sins and lay them down there at the feet of that messenger of Christ who has been commissioned to speak the words of forgiveness into my heart, when I go to the Lord's Supper and I take that body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, when I take a little child and bring, him, bring her, not him, her, to the waters of Christian baptism and there make that child a child of God inheriting all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, including today even eternal life, there, right there, that's the center of what the church is supposed to be. That's what creates life in the tree. And though my apples and peaches and pecans that flow from this faith may not look like they're very good apples and peaches and pecans, when they come out of a heart that has been forgiven by Christ, in that blood of Christ, they are apples and peaches and pecans that are acceptable to God. Does a church centered on the forgiveness of sins as the very first thing strike you as being just maybe a little bit boring? Confession, absolution, preaching Christ and what he has done and what he has done and what he has done for us, condemning us for our own sins and then forgiving and pardoning us for what we failed to do and be, Offering bread and wine, baptizing pretty little babies, there the forgiveness of sins at the center of it all. Is that boring? Is that alluring? Is that something that we want? There's a reason, I think, for that story of the doubting Thomas. Thomas here in this text is doubting whether or not that resurrection, yes, but whether or not that forgiveness of sins is real. Thomas needed something tangible to hold on to before he would believe that. 
Do you think that there's any real difference between I won't believe unless I find a church where I feel accepted and unless I see the nails in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Let's just say that you moved to Tennessee and you had two choices of a congregation to attend. One is made up of 70-year-olds and 80-year-olds and 90-year-olds with no children in attendance and only 30 people present on Sunday morning. They've got a bad organist who drags the liturgy and a pastor who kind of stutters and stammers through his sermon, but he preaches repentance and forgiveness of sins in Christ, and he faithfully administers holy baptism, as we did today, and faithfully serves the Lord's Supper. Your other choice is that amphitheater church that greets you joyfully upon your entrance, shuffles your kids off to Sunday school where they find something interesting and fun, pulls you into an assembly of excited people of all ages in a well-orchestrated sermon on how to be able to increase your effectiveness in the workplace with those spiritual tools that the pastor found in the Bible. But neither the sermon nor the music presented you with a Christ who died for your sins, a Christ who forgives you in the waters of baptism and absolution and in the Lord's Supper. Where would you choose to worship? The Apostle Paul said this, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. When the church is doing what it is that the church should be doing, bringing the forgiveness of sins to the hearts of men, the world thinks it's foolishness. When the world does what the world is good at doing, the world comes to what the world does. I think we can all identify, though, a little bit with this doubting Thomas who needed something more. I do want to feel the assurance of God's love from you, the people of my congregation, and I know you do too. I want to experience a worship service that is awe-inspiring with great music and wonderful hymns, like last Sunday, that Easter morning. I want to, I want to be united to people who care and who are enthusiastic and want other people to know about Christ and to bring them into this fellowship of the congregation. These things are to me the very hands of Christ that I want to touch and they are the pierced side that I want to put my hands into. But I can tell you this, I will always be disappointed because you are fallen creatures and I am a fallen creature and no matter how personable or friendly or effective that we are in the way in which we relate to one another, apart from Christ, these things cannot create faith. Christ gives us only one thing to create and to preserve our faith. 
the forgiveness of sins, sins that are pardoned because of his work for us, granting us a forgiveness that has reconciled us to this Father in heaven and who now, through these men that he sends out with the gospel to preach and to teach in the apostolic office, God either binds sins or he looses and frees them and God either opens the door, closes the door of heaven, but there is the door and there is the forgiveness there simply hidden in lowliness among us. So, as a church, no matter what our numbers might be, let's always keep first things first. The forgiveness of sins through the living and resurrected Christ. And through that forgiveness, let us do our best to bring forth those apples and those peaches and those pecans that indeed are works that reflect our glory or our appreciation for what it is that he has done for us in his resurrection. It is those things that bring glory to the forgiveness of sins that he so richly gives to us. So let's keep first things first. Amen. May this peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard and keep your thoughts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.